So is a O'Brien invited you to his his thing? His birthday party? Yeah. You know what he's doing? Yeah, it's dog fighting. Yeah, with Klingon pain sticks. Yeah. Their heads explode. Yeah. I mean, and it's not in the holodeck either. No. He's using those puppies that they had in there. Yeah. But you know, were you not here for O'Brien's last birthday? No. I was on a. I was on leave. Do you remember when we had the puppies in the kindergarten? Yeah. Do you never wonder why we don't have any dogs? Jesus Christ. We've got to stop serving whiskey and ten forward. Oh, well, I don't think there's going to be much we can do about it, mate. You know where he's from. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate, I don't know. Uh, 39? I, I've not got my notebook with me because uh, unlike previous episodes, we literally just watched the episode of Star yeah. Trek. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, um, I'm Eddie Edwards. I'm joined as always by Mark O'Neill. Uh, oh, sorry, Mark Bench now. Mark Bench. Mark Bench, sorry. Because I'm hiding from... Uh, <laughs> Your past. Possible repercussions <laughs> to anything that I may or may not have said in the past. Plus... I want to save up new transcripts. It's like, you know, when you're playing like a game, like say Oblivion or Skyrim, and at one point you decide, I'm done role-playing this fun adventure. It's time to murder everyone in this village. So you save the game. Yeah. That's basically what this is. <laughs> right, okay. I'm creating a new identity under which I can commit a load of... Fresh crimes. Fresh <laughs> cultural transgressions. And then in ten years you'll come up with a new name, and then, and then delete that person <laughs> from from the internet. <laughs> oh, it won't be that hard to find me, to be honest. I'm not that good at hiding. No, no. I mean, an, an image search will do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So normally I'd start by saying like, "How are you?" But I'm, I've been staying at Marks for like the last week now because of the Edinburgh Festival. So it's been it's been trying. Uh. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> It's uh, no, it's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I just i I haven't lived with housemates for quite a long time, and apart from Laura, but she's like either either Laura and I have just exactly the same personality and standards when it comes to house upkeep, or she just doesn't give a fuck about how I do it. Which <laughs> to me might as well be the same thing. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm unfortunate in that uh, uh, Emma genuinely believes that uh, I don't have as high a standard of living as her and yet I am the one who always does the cleaning <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't so much do the cleaning as Laura once uh, lamented that the floors weren't getting hoovered enough so I bought a robot hoover 
that's certainly one way of dealing with that, it. As far as I'm concerned, that's the only solution to that problem. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Why would you do any job when you can make a robot do it? Exactly. So I looked over at your robot Hoover there, and it's called a Yuffie, but uh, with an E at the front. But at the, when I first glanced over, I thought there was a D, and I thought your robot <laughs> Hoover was called Duffy. Uh, <laughs> no, she's actually she's called Linda. Oh, Linda. Yeah. Because she sucks. <laughs> is, that, is that based on a... Oh, is that Linda... Linda Lovelace. Ah, right. Famous okay. sucker. Yes. I thought you might have like a Linda in your personal life you just didn't like her approval. No, there were... We did go through several names of people that I know in real life, but we thought, well, there's a, a non-zero chance that they'll come round here when I'm shouting at that thing. <laughs> Which does happen often. <laughs> Including Linda, go home, you drunk bitch. <laughs> It's something that actually gets said by both members of this household quite often. Because she's... The thing about her is, right, yes, obviously automated Hoover technology has improved over the last 15 years, right? Since, mm-hmm. since we started the dream with Rosie and the Jetsons, and we knew that one day human laziness would reach such a point that we would basically enslave... Like is 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 wise cracking a good enough sign of sentience <laughs> to like to, to 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 understand that Rosie from the Jetsons was probably pretty self aware of what was going on. Yeah, but she was. Also, I think she was programmed to like servitude. Uh, how so she got sexually off on it? How cheeky could a robot servant get to you before the line? Like before, you were like, "No, that, no, that's you're getting a bit too familiar there." So you're out. I like. I'm just going to say, you shout at your Roomba. Uh, I, I, I say please and thank you to my Alexa. No, because come the robot apocalypse, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on the, I'm not being top of the list. I want enough, enough time to hide. Uh, <laughs> See, I'd rather be top of the list. The reason being that we are essentially making these things to replace us, so <laughs> there would be no reason for them to keep us around. So any humans that they do keep around, it's probably going to be quite a hellish existence. So I would rather just be annihilated in the initial wave of violence that resulted from me telling my Alexa to fuck off. No, that's fair. Uh, but I was I was kind of hoping that I might be the last best hope for humanity uh, and get to do some time travel shenanigans. Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to talk about The Fringe and everyone we've seen at it? Uh, uh, well, you could have been using this as free advertising for your own French show, but now that this will go out after that run has ended, yeah, no, this no, this is going to go out tomorrow. So come see me. This, if you're listening to this on Monday, I'm on tonight uh, and I'm on tomorrow. Uh, but also, Mark has booked us a roast battle on Monday, which will be really helpful for me to be able to promote my show on Tuesday before I leave town. Yeah, good uh, things, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll promote this podcast. Yeah. No, I won't. <laughs> Why the fuck? Why would I start doing that now? <laughs> <laughs> if anything, I actively try to get this silenced. No, yeah, that's fair. Because because the, the the more people listen to this, the quicker the Mark Bedge persona is going to save up <laughs> transgressions. And um, I'm not I'm not spending a lot of time coming up with a new clever nickname again. No, no, there's not a lot you can do with Mark. No, Mark Tide, Spill Mark, Mark Spill. Tide mark. Yeah, it basically what it has to be is words that have mark at the end, where I take all of the length of the word that isn't mark and make that my sudden name. Yeah. So mark trade. <laughs> mark skid. Uh, mark birth. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Thank you um, very much. If, if, if so to promote other people who are still at the fringe, uh, Duffy's show is Duffy Duffy Connor's show is really good. Yeah. Uh, Mark, uh, sorry, uh, Jamie and Hubert's show is really good. Uh, I'm not including surnames, but there's not two Hubert's at the fringe. Uh, Lorraine Hoodless's show is really good as well. Uh, I recommend that. Richard uh, really, Brown's really horror show. Oh yeah, Richard Richard, Richard Brown's horror show is god tier stand up. It's yeah. It's like annoying because like, I, I ran into him in the street the other day. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I saw your show last night. I came up with Mark. And he was like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. We had a nice chat. And it's like, oh, now I know you socially. It's irritating because you, you did after that show jump into my like, top 20 stand-ups. <laughs> 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 yeah, go see that. Um, you might, you either love it or you will be confused. Uh, <laughs> I went to see as well A Magician. Oh, right. By the name of James Phelan, and he was really good. He's Paul Daniels' nephew. Okay. He makes that very apparent in the show. He talks about it quite a bit. <laughs> uh, not in a bad way, but, you know, uh, he. So we sat in the front. I love magic. Mm-hmm. Right? I love all, all aspects of magic. My, fav- I, my favorite thing about magic is the showmanship, right? I, I'm, I'm quite good at figuring out how you do things. So I'm not the type of person who's going to be amazed by the actual mechanics of a trick because I'm actually fairly good at sitting there to figure it, it, it sounds like like the opposite of joy right but <laughs> I, 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 I promise that it is this actually brings me great happiness right is to sit there and be like right I figured out how he did it but what I'm really impressed by is the way that he disguised how he did it um, I saw uh, a great show The Grumpy Magicians yeah uh, uh, to uh, elderly Gay magicians, because uh, there are there's no such thing as a straight magician. Um, what a young one! <laughs> but um, so they um, they they were pretty good. They were like it was like very like traditional classic stuff. Just two guys on stage with a box of tricks. Sort of thing. But the trick they did at the end, I have given probably four to three like four to five hours of thought since I saw it, and I am um, and I have not the slightest fucking clue. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought I knew how it worked to start with. And then they do something at the end of the trick which completely proves my theory of how it works wrong. Yeah. And I cannot... It's, it's like it's a, they have a pad with a drawing of a box of cards on it and then a card slides up out of the box on the drawing. Ooh. And then I was like, okay, so that's thing. And then they tear the page off yeah. with the drawing on it and just hand it to the person whose card it was nice so that blew out the when they tore it off and handed it out that destroyed every notion I had of how that trick could possibly be done so yeah that's a, a genuinely I can't I don't know how it was amazing um, but yeah come to the fringe it's really enjoyable yeah. it's my first time so this magician lad so we went to see him and I, we sat in the front row because I was like I want to be in the front row I, oh, I want to see, see the magic <laughs> And he immediately clocked me as uh, a, a, a rube, I guess would be the technical <laughs> term. Because he, he sort of clocked me and he heard me, he saw me, he watched me clapping or whatever. And he, he literally looked at me and said, I have a feeling you and I are going to be interacting quite a lot over the next 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was true. I don't know what it is about my face. My face, because I do want to take part in the magic. Because I, I did... Um, 
I was part of the audience participation for a Darren Brown track. I, I, I okay, I, I want to say this. I have decided that as much as I love Darren Brown, yeah. I can't ever see Darren Brown live. Why? Because I would be psychologically ruined by that for the next year and a half of my life, at least. I would be, everything I did, I would be like, is... Am I doing this because Darren Brown made me do this? Yeah. So, so I'm not going to spoil the trick because he, he specifically asked you, like, don't spoil anything you see in this yeah. show just in case. Uh, but one, uh, what I will say is that the, the trick, the trick either has two solutions. A, quite a complicated setup of misdirection and audience, uh, so what's the phrase I'm looking for here? So sort of warming them up to a specific outcome, right? Oh yeah. Um, and uh, just an, an expert level, uh, sort of go at that trick and and like having clocked it right to the millisecond to make me believe one thing, uh, or he legitimately just erased about ten seconds from my memory. <laughs> now, the weird thing is, right? The way that the, the way that I perceived the trick when I was up there made me think the former, right? Because obviously it's a trick; mm-hmm. it's not real magic. He specifically sets out this isn't fucking real. This is a trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, after it, the thing that really threw me off is that I won't spoil what the trick is. But basically, part of the trick involves a countdown from five to one, okay, or from one to five. I can't really remember. But after it, I have no recollection of uh, three and two. All I remember is five, four, one, and then the resolution of the trick. Right. Okay. Now, the weird thing is, there are audience members who I spoke to after the show who were like, oh, yeah, there definitely was a two and a three. And then other audience members who were like, no, he just skipped over them. <laughs> so he has he has in a way performed the perfect trick because there's no way because your own brain has manipulated your own brain has either manipulated you into erasing something or adding something that wasn't there there is no way that you are going to come out of that trick having not thought that something incredible has happened except for me and again I'm not going to spoil it but I from the perspective of being the guy on stage actually doing it I think I know how he did it and the fact that it's so simple makes it even more incredible. Right, okay. Yeah. That's... I really hope when Darren Brown dies, like, after his death, there's, like, an autobiography that he's written and published just called How I Did It. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas it's like, this is how I did that one. This is how I did that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's talk about this episode of Star Trek. Uh plot of this episode Riker's dad bad bloke yeah terrible ter- terrible dad despite what everybody on great Ambo Jitsu Ambo Jitsu fighter though he was cheating yeah he did an illegal move apparently that was <laughs> would have been much more obvious to us if they'd chosen you know a real combat sport <laughs> yeah instead of a sport where an illegal move could literally be using your eyes yeah yeah because he was it was basically like Tron Samurai Gladiators yeah uh it was ridiculous and stupid and blindfolded for no reason. Also, I just want to address, throughout this episode, most of the other characters attempt to both sides uh, Riker's yeah. relationship with his dad, and they are wrong. Riker d- 
did nothing wrong. He was a child. And Riker's dad is a piece of shit. Yeah. Who hasn't spoken to his son in 15 years since his son was 13 years old. And even Pulaski, who you would be like, well, in an episode where everyone is in the wrong, surely the interesting thing is to make the character who is normally somewhat in the wrong to be in the right. Yeah. But no, Pulaski was shagging his dad. Yeah. Off screen. Yeah. Despite the fact, in literally the last episode, I believe that she mentioned that she'd never even heard of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which does somewhat indicate how terrible a father Riker's dad is. That at no point in his relationship with Pulaski did the fact that he has a son that he abandoned come up. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult to work that in during casual sex. <laughs> during a more long-term relationship, if discussed beforehand... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Any kink is is acceptable as long as it's not actually physically hurting anyone present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, Riker's dad... Do what is, you want, lads. Riker's dad literally describes his parenting of Riker as, I stuck it out for 13 years. Yeah, and then Riker also says, I've been on my own... In, in the same scene, so it's not even a script problem. In the same scene, he says, I've been on my own since I was 15. And his dad says, I stuck this out for 13 years. So there's two years missing from that timeline. Now, yeah. does that mean that Riker's dad watched the birth and then went, I'll be back when this thing can talk? Uh, Riker, I'll, I'll be back when I can fight this thing. So Riker, he came back when it was two. I reckon Riker's dad was there for the birth. Right. Uh, was in Starfleet, we know that, uh, Like before he became a civilian. So he was in Starfleet, I reckon he, he saw the birth, immediately shipped out to space and stayed there for two years and only came back when Riker's mum died. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was on like the Farragut or something. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, it's good to be going home after a five-year mission." And he's like, "Oh, can we stretch this out another two years?" <laughs> look, look. No one ever talks about a seven-year mission, do they? I mean, we should really be the first people to go for that. <laughs> if look, if if love at first sight can exist, so can hate at first sight, and that's what Riker's dad experienced when he saw his son for the first time. Yeah, it's like, oh, this was this is a terrible idea. And uh, if you didn't watch the episode, Riker's dad was played by the bad guy from Lethal Weapon 1. Yeah, that's not who Gary Busey. Yeah. Or, if you're not a big fan of the Lethal Weapon franchise, he was also the dad in Dharma and Greg. Because I found there are two types of people in this world. People who remember actors from Lethal Weapon <laughs> and people who remember the same actors from Dharma and Greg. <laughs> Do you watch Dharma and Greg? Uh, Dharma and Greg had one of my... Um, uh, favourite episodes of a sitcom ever which is the episode where Dharma and Greg decide that they want to have sex outdoors yep. uh, but they live in New York so they can't find anywhere that they can have sex outdoors that no one will see so they decide to have sex outdoors whilst the season finale of Seinfeld is on Yeah, <laughs> then, and then uh, they uh, keep running out of places and they eventually end up in the, I think d- their office yep. uh, d- like somewhere near Dharma's, of- uh, Dharma's office and uh, her boss is there and she's like, oh, are you watching Seinfeld? And he's a black guy. He's like, no, I'm not watching Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But um, they, didn't, they, didn't they play that at the same time as the Seinfeld finale? Wasn't yeah, that kind of the importance Yeah, because no, they knew nobody would be watching the show, was the joke. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> If anyone hasn't seen Darman Greg, by the way, so Darman Greg is, I would argue, the most 90s of sitcoms. No, that's not right. It's, it is, an, it's very particular to the 90s because she's she's a very free see what would happen in the 80s right is that we had this funny thing where parents would act differently from their children and it would generally be conservative parents 
liberal kids hijinks and shit. Yeah. Then we had Family Matters. Was it Family Matters? I think it was Family Matters, where Twist Michael Gross from uh, Tremors and his wife, whatever, they're the older ones and they're very liberal. But Michael J. Fox, the young whippersnapper son, is like an 80s yuppie conservative. Yeah. Turning the genre on its fucking head, mate. And he, uh, and so what happened after that was that they decided, do you know what? Let's, what's the next logical step from that? Rather than having opposite parent child dynamics, we will have the child is exactly like the parents, but we will then pair up two family units. So Dharma, Dharma was like a bit of a free spirit, like a hippie, like a sort of crystal astrology person. Yeah. And Greg, very straight list. Yeah, I think he like worked in like finance or something. Yeah. But it was the it was it's the aftermath of a whirlwind romance. Like they meet on holiday and they're like married like while they're away. Yeah. And like it's like and then move back to, and then they come back to it's like two of your friend one of your friends went on holiday, came back married. Yeah. And you're like, this will never last. And then it turns out they're actually a really perfect couple. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the whole the whole point of the show is that it's it's basically her optimism versus his pessimism. Yeah. Um and then in one season finale she gets quite heinously injured in a car accident and I think has to spend a significant amount of the next season recovering, proving that pessimism is the correct <laughs> Like I... all 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 joy and happiness will eventually be beaten out of you by I cars. Don't... I don't, on a fundamental level, understand how optimistic people can ever be happy. Because they, like, if you wake yeah. up in a day and you're expecting the day to be the best, the moment so- anything goes wrong, the day has like fallen below expectations. You don't know how badly a day has to go for me before it even gets close to what I'm expecting. <laughs> like, yeah. If I cross the first street and I don't get hit by a car, I've already won. I've already won the day. See, <laughs> I am... Um... I already am a bit of a sort of pessimist and a nihilist, and I, I'm one of these pricks that likes to describe myself as a realist, just because I think that the worst possible thing is definitely the thing that's going to come to pass. Yeah. Uh, but I I react to to bad things happening in my day like an internally optimistic person would, which is to just immediately just be like, well, it was all fucking pointless then, wasn't it? <laughs> Why did I even get out of bed this morning? One man can make no no difference whatsoever. Don't even <laughs> kid yourself. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, 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 anyway, back to Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. So there's three things that are going on in this episode. One, Riker's dad is a terrible dad. Yep. Two, um, uh, Worf needs to go through some Klingon ritual. Yep. Uh. Well, four things. Three. Uh, something's gone wrong with some readouts on the Enterprise. So, like a team are over, looking over it, and four. O'Brien watch. Right, you've watched all of Strange New Worlds, right now. Oh yeah. Look, I'm just going to throw this out there. The show we need from Star Trek right now is what was O'Brien's life before he was on the Enterprise, because. Uh, yeah, we learned some shit about O'Brien. <laughs> do, I mean, do we, or did we just make things up? Where we were he says that? he saw Klingon pain sticks used on like a two-ton animal until its head exploded. Yeah, which raises so many fucking questions about where did he see this? Why was he there? Why didn't he leave? <laughs> he had money riding on it. <laughs> exactly. Like, so we know. Okay, 
We know that O'Brien served in uh, the Federation's war with Cardassia. Aye. But it hasn't been mentioned yet because they didn't need it for a plot contrivance until like two seasons from now. But <laughs> um, So we know he's in that. We know he's like, hung, he's got all of these stories about weird shit from his past. I want to see what his like military career hanging around like the border of the Federation, like going to like whatever the Star Trek version of like Moss Eisley is. Yeah. That's the fucking, yeah. Fuck I mean, Han Solo. I want young O'Brien. Obviously, it is uh, 200 plus years in the future, but O'Brien is still just a standard Irish Catholic guy. <laughs> and I feel like I've known a lot of O'Briens over my life. I think my my, my dad and my uncle are, are, are a bit of, of, of an O'Brien, and they've definitely been a dogfight. <laughs> like... Yeah, I, I feel like it's up there with when my mate John came back from Cambodia, and I was like, oh, "How was Cambodia?" And he was—he literally goes, "For for the equivalent of twenty dollars, I could have fired a rocket launcher at a cow." <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go to Cambodia or Thailand or Vietnam uh, just on my own, and then when I come back, and my friends are like, "How was it?" I'm gonna go. Don't ask that. <laughs> Cambodia, I think, is very. You won't like the answer. So I, I have a theory that there's always one place where the law doesn't apply and it and it moves it moves so for example like the 60s and 70s weirdly it was the center of new york uh yeah. then uh, before that uh, then uh like, they moved to vegas vegas has cleaned up its act then it was vietnam but vietnam's come a bit touristy a bit too tourist friendly cambodia now uh and it will keep going on like this until eventually like lads who want to like go on like crazy holidays are going to like i don't know somalia yeah. Uh, it just keeps moving around. There's always one place where you can do literally anything. Yeah. And it's mental. Uh, and it is mad because we were talking recently, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but we certainly talked about it in real life. That very specific genre that existed for about 45 minutes of sexy pirate jungle airplane seaplane smuggler. Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, to my very privileged Western eyes, is like what I imagine like quite a lawless like law unto themselves yeah type place is, is going to operate like but no you're right it actually probably would be more like Somalia like Tailspin the Tailspin reboot should take place in Somalia I've said that before and I'll say it again see I did because uh, kids these days they're not getting the big picture I, I about like 10 15 years ago was genuinely eyeing up as like a, a, a like a future plan for life saving up enough money to buy a bar on the river in the middle of the jungle in like Cambodia and oh. just like just like have it it's like this is like safe space leave fucking arguments outside yeah this is you're not allowed to bring any guns in but everyone's welcome and then you know make a bit of money on the side you know and, and, and also because that seems like the sort of life that would get adapted into a hell of a TV show <laughs> see I've always like imagined that in an apocalypse situation if I somehow miraculously survive which I, I'm not planning to, but if I did and it was like a Book of Eli sort of thing going on, right? I've always thought that the uh, the character that I would want to embody would be the bar owner that runs the, the neutral bar. Yeah. Like, this is, like it's called, like, the Diplomacy Inn or something. Like, yeah. something really super on the nose, right? Which is weird, because I am quite partisan in real life. Yeah. Uh, and... I there would be, but I I've I'm I'm not a very violent person. Yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to. I'm be not. A... I'm not very calm under pressure either. So, I there's there's no way I would be able to enforce those rules. Like that that bar would almost immediately become a Nazi bar. 
like an, an apocalyptic Nazi bar. And do you know what? I'd probably keep running it for about a week because <laughs> I'd be like, no, nah, I can bring it back. No, um, I, I think it's things that I want to be. I don't. I want to be in a Rambo movie, but I know I can't be Rambo. So I'll be the guy at the bar, like when Rambo arrives, where I'm like, like exp- where I do the little exposition dump for the audience. Yeah. And then you don't see me again until I pick Rambo up in a boat. Yeah. <laughs> I I want to be the guy when uh, Rambo walks in and I'm just cleaning my glass, and I and he and he puts down his gun on the table and I say, you know the rules, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and yeah. yeah, and he puts, and then he puts the gun in like a basket by the door, yeah. and then I say, and the rest, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and later on in the movie, he 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 has to not throw me up against the wall because that's quite sexy, but he has to fucking back me up against the wall. He has to be like you, some along the lines of you, you can't, you're not allowed to be neutral anymore. You got to pick a side. Bitch. Yeah. Not bitch. I wouldn't take that. Not in my bar. <laughs> I, I, security would be tossing them and out. Then, and then you act like you've not picked a side. Yeah. But then you do the right thing at the end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> John, the only thing this bar's got going for it is that everyone's allowed in here. <laughs> Once I pick a side, this place doesn't last. Thus, last the week. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the? Ju- have you seen the selection in the jukebox? It's terrible. <laughs> and both sides think that. But they keep coming here because they know that their mates are going to be allowed in as well the the bouncer at the front is actually because it's the post-apocalypse we're certainly not checking for ids <laughs> right if it, I, I mean look john look listen mr rambo sir sir <laughs> the fact of the matter is this bar runs almost exclusively on how willing i am to sell alcohol to minors <laughs> please don't take that drink away from me um you just reminded me years ago a game of uh, dnd my mate john was running um Mike, I was playing a character with a really low wisdom score, so to make up for that, I was like, oh, I'll make a 15 to explain why well, she'd be intelligent but still make terrible decisions. Uh, and at one point in the game, um, we were talking about getting some drinks. And I, like, casually just went to my John, John, what's, what's the age of consent in your fantasy world? <laughs> and he rolled a D20. <laughs> oh! I was like, oh, it's 14. And I was like, you know, that fits with medieval fantasy. Yeah. Fine. Uh, I'll order a drink, please. <laughs> what's the order? Of, what's the age of consent in your fantasy world? Is a sentence that you <laughs> you don't want you want to you don't want to be asking that until at least the third day. The the the, the funny thing about that is the uh, results of that night. It being my character's like first being a lightweight because she's fifteen. Um, there is a carousing chart in one of the DM's guides, for, right. like what happens if you get blind drunk. And we rolled on that, and my character woke up married. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and uh, and my character's uh, hot assassin wife is still somewhere out in the world, but hasn't been seen for two years. So that's going to come back and bite me in the ass. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> when you least expect it. Yeah. She'll be like seventeen. Yeah. But, Don't fancy uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, Star, Star Trek. Wesley gets all up in fucking Worf's business. Oh, so much so. He's the most annoying he's ever been. And he's episode. like, Worf seems sad. How do you know? Yeah. He yelled at me. People yell at you more often. People yell at you, Wesley. Worf yells at Picard? Yeah. Also, there's a whole thing in this episode about like how they like all agree that they're Worf's family. Yeah. We're Worf's family. So we're going to go to this like thing for him because he needs it. But Worf's family... Is very specifically Wesley, Data, Geordie, 
O'Brien. <laughs> and I buy O'Brien. O'Brien and Worf as friends makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, they definitely and, drink all the yeah, time. Yeah. And and Pulaski. Yeah. But not Troy. Nope. Not Picard. And not Riker. And not that hologram of Tasha Yar. No. Who and he then, definitely would have wanted to be there. And like a birthday cake that he, a birthday candle that he could blow out. But the other thing is like like okay, I work an office job. Yeah. I, I'm friends with my team. Like the people on my team, I'm friends with like the teams like adjacent to us, like uh, yeah. people who work do similar things or I have to have conversations with. But I've also got like one mate who works in like fucking the finance department and one guy in IT. But like, does Wolf not have that? Does Wolf not ever just got casually? Yeah. There's not like some guy like down in like sanitation who's actually a huge Batleff enthusiast. Yeah, and they've had a little chat about that, and then that's blossomed into like a little bit of a work friendship. Or Worf just like, have you seen this Die Hard film? <laughs> this John McClane shows a lot of great honour. He, he's he's really hurt, and he fucking he he, he beats them terrorists. If if and, Worf, it, and Ensign Je- it's Ensign Jensen presumably. <laughs> if Worf was a character in the Orville, yeah. there would totally be an episode where Worf gets introduced to the concept of human action films. Because like it doesn't come up like it's like, but he fucking he'd love he'd love the Rambo movies. Yeah, yeah, especially like, Rambo Four where he cuts that guy in half. Like I can imagine go. Wolf watching the movie and just hearing the line when it comes right down to it, killing's as easy as breathing. And just be like, yes, I bet, <laughs> I I bet that for about a week, everybody on the bridge didn't they didn't say anything. They kept it to himself. But after eight days of Wolf. Deciding to solve, to, when asked for a solution, his only response was, "Well, if it bleeds, we can kill it." <laughs> Someone had to be like, "Look, we get it. Predator's great, but <laughs> don't. That's not a catch-all solution. Not in Starfleet. I get it. It's te- it makes sense. No, but, it, but and it, I'm it, glad it, you found a thing that you enjoy, Worf. And it is technically true. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. The, the, I don't think there's anything more Klingon. Than the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and I, I, but I would love to even see Kindergarten how, Cop. That's the one I'm most interested in how they'd react to it. It's like, no, actually, he's done the honourable thing. Yeah, he's supposed to like his 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 co warrior has been injured. He's stepped up to take on that responsibility, and even though it's outside his wheelhouse, he's still willing to take on the challenge. I think that's very the Klingons would see that as very noble. Yeah, and also we don't really. See, I, I guess we we haven't seen so far what it's like how the Klingons raise their kids. Well, Worf has a son, right. and the answer is they don't. Right, <laughs> he's like it's the same as they very much poor what's known as a Riker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chad Riker, Kyle Riker, that was his name. Kyle Riker, yeah. He also it's like also it's not just that he knows Pulaski. And there's like multiple scenes with other people on the ship being like, "Oh, hey, Carl, how's it going?" Just high fiving and yeah. fist bumping. And nobody's like ever discussed with like, and I feel like if I'd mentioned to Riker, oh, I know your daddy's a really cool guy, and Riker responded with an icy stare yeah. and said, uh, "I haven't spoken to him since I was fifteen years old." No, that's uh, not so what that, happened. What uh, would happen was, is that Riker would go and lean against a wall, oh, really yeah. sulkily. Yeah, there's some look off into the middle distance. There's more wall leaning in this episode than ever before like I, I feel like when he's in Picard's office yeah and he's leaning against the fish tank if I was Picard I'd be like well look we're friends but I am the captain sit in the chair yeah, exa- <laughs> yeah exactly don't just look while I'm talking to you can you not just stare at that zebra fish yeah so here's, here's a question I've got for you 
Right, because in this episode, Riker gets offered uh, what is a promotion to become captain of his own ship. Yeah. But it's like a small ship doing like a science thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so we were discussing this. Do you, would you, if you're first officer on the Enterprise, would you sack that off to be captain of a less important ship? 100%. Oh, right. Okay. Because uh, I don't really, I get sick of things pretty quickly. And the Enterprise seems like it's a lot of work. So I'd like to be on the Enterprise, but given the option to just do basically nothing while the science team does their own thing and I just get to hang out in the holodeck, that's that's ideal. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm after. Uh, see, I'd stay on the Enterprise, I think. Right. Because I think there's more opportunity. Like, because the thing is, right, okay, in the world of Starfleet, yeah. Spock is a legend. Yeah. He's never captain. Yeah. So, like, it's like he's like, um, just, just I don't, no spoilers, uh, but it's established in Strange New World. Spock is very fucking important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I think I'd stay on board the Enterprise. Aye. I think that'd be more, more fun. Also, if shit goes wrong, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that level of responsibility. We sent you off to uh, assess whether or not there was this new life form. Yes. And we're at war. Yes. <laughs> what happened? I didn't realise that was their face. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I like Laura's assessment that he, he viewed, went over, looked at the crew records for the, the Aries and was like, oh, these are ugly people. I'm going back. <laughs> yeah, science checks. I ain't having that. It's like, but then, I see, here's my question. Yeah. You say that, off the top of my head, Starfleet science checks... Judzia Dax. Uh, also that one that was super excited about the terraforming. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and she was the only one that didn't realise that they were killing things because she was so excited that her male colleagues didn't explain it to her. <laughs> oh, we, do have, we do have quite a lot of android explaining in this episode as well. Oh, very much so, where, yeah. Where Data feels a need to explain to everybody Klingon culture, even though he was completely unaware of the important Klingon significance of this. Like, he knows this. Like, like Data must have memorised the entire Starfleet database, right? Yeah. This is Here's a question I have for you. Um, is Data ever allowed to be smug? Uh, because he... He's very smug in this episode. Yeah, because the thing is, right, he's like, well, I don't really know much about Klingon... Uh, cultural sort of events, right? But but then he just goes and learns about it, and yeah, he learns about it really fast. <laughs> but he did take, he did spend the equivalent of his amount of time studying that. So does he get to, basically does he get to be like, well, I know everything about it now. Uh, here's what's going on. <laughs> like you, you know that you can trust him, and you know that the information is correct. So do you have to have? sort of a respect for that or are you just like fuck this fucking guy see here's the thing I, I I don't think he gets to be smug about it because it's because of how little effort he has to put into learning it yeah like he literally sits in front of a screen it goes he knows it all it's just like the way I can't be smug about being handsome it just happens <laughs> it just comes so naturally yeah exactly <laughs> uh, Worf's birthday party yeah yeah. So it's the tenth anniversary of his day of ascension. Yeah, which you got to assume is like a links to birthday, like it's bar mitzvah. Yeah, it's, it's Klingon yeah. bar mitzvah. Yeah. yeah. Paul Paul Rudd is the entertainer. 
he uh, there's a famous video of Paul Rudd being a like I can't remember if he's a clown or like a children's entertainer at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> he just seems like an absolute delight. Of course he does. He's yeah. Paul Rudd. It's, it turns out the secret of immortality is just being delightful. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. So um, they they go into a big Klingon room on the holodeck. They must have turned off the safety features because oh, yeah. there's Klingon pain sticks involved. And Worf has to walk. And they'll blow up a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Worf gets jabbed with them, uh, and suffers insane pain while he says things in Klingon. And then when he's finished, he says thank you. And he- Brian is clearly upset that this is not the sort because there's two types of Klingon party. There's like weird ritualistic combat and pain, and there's let's get drunk. And yeah. I'm certain that like. O'Brien was very much hedging his bets in favour. Also, I want to bring up O'Brien's level of sass to Geordie when O'Brien turns up in engineering whilst this other group of people are like assessing what's gone wrong with the ship. And uh, O'Brien's just like, oh, can't believe you need to have like outsiders come in and have a look at your stuff. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Geordie's like, would you feel okay if they came into like uh, the transporter room and ripped all of your stuff apart? And O'Brien's like, Got no problem with that. Everything runs perfectly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so when Worf was going through the the pain stick gauntlet, uh, from what I remember, I think it was either Data or maybe O'Brien was explaining it to Pulaski. But what he was, what he had to do was he had to reveal his vulnerabilities or something. Yeah. Yeah, you had to get all sad. This is so. This is just what Klingon therapy is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I will also point out that like the the whole plot line of Wolf is really sad. We don't know why. Let's fix this. At no point involves Deanna Troy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deanna Troy is much more involved in telling Kyle. Rick. It's probably the only person who has the balls to tell Kyle Riker to his face. He's a terrible father. And that's uh, only after he flots Will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, after he tries to, to fuck his, his son's ex. It's weird that she would come up with the assessment that he's a bad dad. But also, again, like I said when we were watching the episode, it's weird that she's like, oh, I get a reading. that like, like, It's like, you dated Riker in a serious, committed, long-term relationship for quite a while. Shouldn't the fact that he never mentioned his father once have been a bit of a giveaway that maybe his dad was a shit? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Um. Yeah. Not much else happened in this episode. No, it was kind of like they didn't go anywhere. We did. This is probably the most amount of O'Brien we've ever had. Yeah, and it's it's probably the least amount of science fiction. Yeah, like there wasn't a thing. There wasn't an anomaly. This was just like like personal development of characters for a full episode. And I, I really liked it. Uh, yeah, this is more or less like stuff like this. This is more or less entirely what Deep Space Nine is because in Deep Space Nine. There's the weird, occasional weird. Everyone has dad issues, but it's also like the the the, the they're on a space station, not a ship, so they can't really go anywhere. Yeah. So you have to like actually, and all of the ca- and therefore there's the same recurring characters all the time. So you kind of have to do development. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Thought it was real fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like when Riker had a fight with his dad <laughs> uh, because he so. One of the storytelling tropes that you often have in uh, stories when a, a, da- a dad doesn't get on with a son is that at some point they'll be like, we could, we could settle the differences right here if there was a boxing ring. Uh, but, and what you realise is that that's kind of a... 
that's like a oh we've taken this to the, the top logical step from here we have to start de-escalating and yeah. coming together as people right because violence against your own son is not a way really to get anyone on your side so if you want any of those characters to have any kind of redemption arc you you can't have a father fight a son right it doesn't happen so when that happened as a man who fancies himself a, a bit of a fucking scholar of storytelling and how it works I was like, oh, this is, well, that's interesting. I wonder what they're going to do to resolve this. Uh, and then it turned out that they actually were just going to have a fight. Yeah, because when you say we could solve this right now if we had a boxing ring and you're on board uh, a starship the size of a city yeah. that has those facilities because like, people like the box and shit. Um, sorry, can we use this holodeck? Oh, no, sorry, we're, we're, we're letting Worf get tortured for his birthday in here. Yeah, by the way, they don't go to the holodeck to have this. This is a room they have on board... Yeah. This is just something like, well, every ship's got to have. Do you know what would have been funny? If they'd gone to Holodeck 3 and they pressed the button and the doors opened and it was on Worf's thing. And as the door opened, just like in a, a Western, when a new stranger walks in the saloon, everyone just stopped what they were doing and just turned to look at the door, to look at Riker and his dad, even Worf. <laughs> I was just like, what are you doing? And O'Brien had his shirt off. And yeah. no, no one, ever, and and Riker was like, "No, this is something we can never speak of again." I don't want to know what this is. No, I hope that they're enjoying themselves. Okay. I, 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 says, I really hope there must have been a good reason for them not to invite me to this. Yeah. So play on, lads. We'll go. We'll go. <laughs> we'll, we'll go and fight. We'll go and just use the one in the gym. Um, in I, the I, Japanese fighting room. The, yeah, the, the, I can't remember what it's called. Ambo Jitsu. Ambo, Ambo Jitsu. Uh, they are in like Tron samurai costumes. They are blindfolded. They have a thing over their face, and they fight with like stick. It's as I said to you whilst we were watching it. It's the dumbest thing we've yeah. seen in Star Trek so far. Yeah, uh, it's so stupid. And like you said, they're trying to pretend that this is like an ancient traditional type of fighting, but like Star Trek's only set like three hundred years in the future, so it was invented between now and then. So <laughs> it's kind of like if there was a sport from like the Victorian era that we pretended we were like pretending we'd been around since medieval times yeah <laughs> it's, and it's also like look I've watched enough YouTube videos about fake martial arts to know that most martial arts are nonsense yeah uh, even even ones that you might not think Aikido is it, just bullshit it's, it's, it's just nonsense it's just pseudoscience crap uh, and there's there's other ones that have elements of that, but also elements of practicality. But this one, who fucking thought this one up, right? Yeah. Because the thing about all fake martial arts is that someone has to think them up and then come up with a good reason for why they exist. Like, oh, Aikido is... Well, the thing, the thing that makes it special as a martial art is that it's purely defensive. It's about using your, your opponent's own momentum and and strengths against them, which is, is just a pep talk in a kid's film, right? That, yeah. That's not a real thing that... They can't. Just learn, just 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 learn kickboxing, cowards. Um, I, but I, I do I do have a thing about this, which I just want to say, which is um, the existence of MMA has successfully proved that nearly all martial arts, except for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, are bullshit. Because that's the one that everybody who wins, you can use any fighting technique you want yeah. in MMA, and all of the people who win are doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> is literally a type of dancing. Uh, so <laughs> you know, who more fillers, but. Uh, who invented it? Who, that, this seems like it was invented by two guys who'd come home from the bar. Right, here's what happened, right? But, but, 
It's too right. Here's right. I've got it. I know exactly how this came about, right? Because obviously, in the future, there's going to be different uh, coping technology and mechanisms for like disabled people, right? Yeah. So there's two guys. They're in a bar, and the reason that they met was at like a counselor meeting for people whose uh, wives have suddenly gone blind. Okay. Right, <laughs> and and it's and it's real sad, and oh my god, and even though we have the technology, they haven't quite got to like the visors yet. Mm-hmm. They, basically, it's just the, the regular world, right? Except the the canes that they use, rather than tapping them on the ground, they have like sonar technology. Oh yeah, yeah. So that basically they they do a sonar, and the cane vibrates, and it tells you there's a wall coming up. Be careful. You get like a maybe maybe as good as like a shitty daredevil map where you like no, get a not even. shape. Not, uh, not even, right? All, all you get is the vibration in your hands, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's it. And, it. and at the top, there's a... I don't know, like a fucking... No, right, it's just a solid metal stick, right, that has a sonar thing at the end of it. These two guys, they go to the bar. They're out in Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to drive home. Mm-hmm. It's that type of drunkenness. So they have six beers. They go back to one of the houses. He's like, honey, are you awake? And she's asleep. And he's like, right, uh, uh, Derek, let's, uh, let's go down the basement where I have my boxing ring. Have you no? Because he would need to get his right. He's like Derek. Get an Uber home. Get your wife's fucking. His wife stick. might have a spare stick. Right. Yes. Exactly. Spare one. Right. So that's right. So don't worry, Jim. You can stay here. <laughs> he goes to the cupboard. He gets the sticks, and he's like, "I have a fucking idea." Right. <laughs> Blindfold on. Right. Yeah. And then we'll stand in the ring, and we'll use these to detect us. Hold on. We'll put a cushion on the end of it so that we can fucking whack each other with it, and the first one out of this circle loses. Right, yeah. That's how that... And, and the reason that it's considered to be Mr. Cause is because it was two Japanese guys that came up with it. Cause, cause <laughs> or the, a Japanese guy and his friend. The thing is, I can totally in my head like imagine an origin story of this that makes sense. Like, um, There's like a, a, a feudal lord in Japan and um, he wants his... Um, he wants his warriors to be able to fight in complete darkness. Yeah. Because that way, they don't need a light source. The enemy doesn't have a light source got a massive advantage it's why daredevil wins fights because you can just turn off the lights and beat the shit out of people right i get that but i don't get how that happens at any point between 2022 and whenever starfleet happens because like it's not something that's going to pop up in the atomic horror it's like, <laughs> i think you are severely underestimating the boredom that can come with having a blind wife because <laughs> you're sitting there and, and you know there'll be a lot of silence and then you'll be like did you watch sandman oh Put on Sandman with audio descriptions for the blind. Yeah, but audio description ruins it, mate. Like, I, I'm all for accessibility, right? And I understand that this is a medium that can be exclusively listened to by the visually impaired. That, that They don't need anything else, but I'm sorry. Audio description fucking... Now, look, I'm, 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 I'm glad that, that, that there is a way for you to watch it. Yeah. but um, Here's something that has, 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 for years now, has baffled me. Right. So... um. When I when, when like DVDs were first the thing, I got Spider Man, original Sam Raimi Spider Man DVD, and it had audio descriptions for the blind. Yeah, and this is what confuses me, right? I get that blind people might want to watch a movie, and the audio descriptions allow them to engage with that. Uh, but what I don't get is the series of events that leads a blind person to becoming a fan of the comic book character of Spider-Man who is a his, 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 his origin is in a medium that could pretty much exclusively be enjoyed visually <laughs> um, 
And I guess there's also a thing... Because I'm always like... Because I'm so saying, if you haven't got the pictures, comic books are short, usually badly written books. They cost quite a lot of money. <laughs> We're obviously coming at this from a place of sighted privilege, right? But I... Um, <laughs> When I was in America and I was at a truck stop and they were selling audiobooks, one of the audiobooks was just for, I think, Jonathan Hickman's first run on The New Avengers. And I was like, oh, I definitely want to get that. But it was on CD. I had no way to watch it. But, uh, or listen to it. But, um, and I guess, like, if I was, if I was blind, um, if I'd say, if I'd been, if I'd had sight, right, mm-hmm. and then gone blind, and as a teenager, someone was like, there's this character, and he, he's Spider-Man, he has the powers of a spider. I'm like, first of all, I'm out. <laughs> uh, and, he, and he cleans up walls, and, all, and I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty interesting. Oh, also, he jumps off the top of skyscrapers and swings on a web. I'd be like, that sounds dangerous. I don't like that. Yeah. Because I guess if you can't see him doing it, you can only really imagine Yeah. what it must be like to do it yourself, like the, which like- sounds terrifying. Yeah, Spider-Man's like like what's grabbed me about Spider-Man is it's a cool ass fucking suit. Yeah, it's one of the best superhero suits ever fucking designed. And in, but I just I don't get why. Like do you like I just I can't, like I'm not saying it can't happen, but what I'm saying is the number of people, number of blind people on the journey of comic book fan yeah. to Spider-Man fan to wanting to watch the Spider-Man movie is such a vanishingly small number of people that I don't know what the financial return on putting that on the DVD is. It makes you look good. <laughs> I had a guy, I met a guy uh, when I was doing Harry Potter tours and he was blind, he was born blind, so he got into Harry Potter like through the audiobooks and I mean oh. he was like the same age as us so he'd gotten into them real early like as soon as the audiobooks came out he had them Yeah. Uh, and it was really interesting because obviously cause my tour is like entirely focused on the movies Okay. and he was like well I have seen the movies or he said no I've seen like the first three movies uh, but not the later ones. And I can't remember if it was because there weren't audio description versions available or if he was just like, these suck. <laughs> um, but uh, it was really interesting talking to him because I'd be like, well, cause because I do it over the internet, it's an almost entirely audio-visual medium. There's no other senses that you can use to engage with it. So yeah. he was purely audio. So I would be like, well, we're here, we're here standing at Leicester Square, which has this, 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 and this. But then eventually I'd be like, so, like, what do you, in your mind's eye, like, what do you perceive Hogwarts as looking like? Like, can you describe it? Because I guess he's he's had to get quite good at describing visual things in words. Oh right, yeah. So that he can share them with people. And he was telling me, man, and I was like, that's bizarre. You've you've almost fucking nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Did you say he was born blind? Yeah. Oh, that must be like sad for him to know that if like ever in the future. They develop like the kind of technology where he can like have sight. That J.K. Rowling would be dead against that. Uh, <laughs> no, you stay the way you're born. Yep. That's important. If you allow this, suddenly you'll have blind athletes running the ruining the Olympics. And do you know what? And, and you know what? Those athletes will just be stunt doubles. Uh, anything else to to add? No, it's a good episode. I enjoyed it. It's, it's some nice little character development, but it's not. Like I say, it, 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 season two has very nicely had good episodes and like fineish episodes yeah. and okayish episodes. We've not had anything. I I know there's some bad shit coming in season two of just absolute fucking dross. Yeah, but yeah, I enjoyed this. Thought it was alright. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, come see me at the fringe tonight or tomorrow night if you're there. 
uh, which you won't be because there's like 10, 20 people who listen to this and I know none of them are at the fringe. Uh, oh no, Duffy might be. Hey, Duffy, come to my show. Actually, uh, just come to my show, you prick. I came to yours. On, uh, the, on the 24th, <laughs> I'll be doing a big roast battle. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you listen to this on the Monday, I'm roast battling Mark tonight. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Top notch. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.